Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. We're in this worship series uh, this summer called The One of God's Own Choosing, which is a line we stole from our closing song. The truth is we have to perpetually find new names for this series because we do this series under different names over and over and over again. Maybe you've noticed if you've been around for a while, we read the Gospels and we build this layered picture of the identity of Jesus, the nature and character of this human being who is also God. And we keep asking the text, asking our ancestors, what kind of person is he? And what we keep finding here in our discernment together is that he's not Jesus meek and mild. He's not Jesus soft and serene. But the Christology we keep building together is Jesus, a real badass with unpopular opinions who is unafraid to poke the bear, if by bear you mean oppressive power structures that keep small people small. So, the one of God's own choosing, and our theme specifically for tonight, Jesus is bad at religion. I'm reading from Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 18, and moving on into chapter 3, verse 6. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't? Jesus said to them, Well, the wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they'll fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak, otherwise the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, the wine would be lost such a tragedy. And so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wine skins, huh? One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did? When he and his companions were hungry and in need of food, he entered into the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he gave it to his companions. And then he said to them, see, the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. So the son of humanity is Lord even of the Sabbath. Thanks, Again, 
he entered the synagogue and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, come here. And then he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill? And they were silent. Oh, he looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. I'm going to start by saying something so obvious that you might just decide to check out of this one early. <laughs> Here it is. Jesus was one spiritual dude. <laughs> what I mean by that is that the Gospels attest to his personal piety, his habits, his practices that connected him to the mother-father God of the universe. We have any number of stories about him retreating away from the crowds to spend time alone in prayer, a recognition on his part that he just couldn't keep pouring out God's love and power if he didn't keep filling up his spiritual tank. If you are an introvert, you might find familiar the reality that Jesus, who loved humanity deeply, sometimes just had to get away from humans in order to keep loving them. Amen? Mm -hmm. We know also that Jesus read scripture, that he had memorized a lot of his Bible. He quotes it by heart, even when he's arguing with it, even when he's arguing with the very religious persons, the VRPs, even when he's dying. His Bible was important to him. And he rested as well. Remember that famous nap in the hull of a boat on a storm-tossed sea? Not the only nap our Savior took. And we have been learning at Galileo Church to see rest as a spiritual practice, a surrender of effort and control, an admission that we are not in charge of or responsible for keeping the world spinning. And in this way of thinking, taking a nap is a way of demonstrating our trust that God's got the whole world in God's hands. As I said, Jesus was one spiritual dude. But would we say that he was also religious? You know the difference, right? No doubt you know that Galileo Church was born in part out of a recognition that more and more North Americans are calling themselves spiritual but not religious, SBNR for short, <laughs> meaning that many of us admit these days to an individual sense of connection to the capital D deity or the capital M mystery or the capital U universe while consciously rejecting the traditional institutions and practices of corporate religious life. Right. Now listen, there are good and rational reasons for that rejection that 
people like me who are, let's face it, deeply invested in the institutional life of the church have had to come to terms with, like that the church has abused the trust, the resources, even the bodies of its members without any real consequences for far too long, like that institutional religion around the world and throughout history has done lots of violence in the name of God, like that the church has perpetuated and exploited fear and prejudice against the other in direct contradiction to Jesus' own embrace of the excluded and maligned, if you are the Christian flavor of spiritual but not religious, and we should acknowledge that there are other flavors of SBNR too, <laughs> this little series of stories that we read tonight from Mark chapters 2 and 3 can actually help you make your case. In those stories, Jesus, who was one spiritual dude, does not seem to care much for the corporate institutional practices of his no. religious kin. No. You see, we've got three stories in a row where he puts people over doctrine. And in the progression of the three stories that Mark has nicely laid out for us, we can see the tensions developing between Jesus and the VRPs, the very religious persons, escalating. In the very first story, some people, just people, not VRPs, just folks, come and ask him, hmm, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast and your disciples don't? I have to say, if I were shopping around in the first century religious marketplace for someone to follow, I might ask a similar question. Like, if several of the teacher's curricula involved extended group fasting as a way to get close to God, but one of them didn't, I'd be really curious about the one that didn't. Because, honestly, going without food doesn't usually make me feel very prayerful. No. It just makes me hangry. And right. if it's all the same to God, I would be happy to skip the skipping of meals and <laughs> skip all the way to my next hearty supper. Right. So about fasting, Jesus says, yeah, no, my friends don't do that because, well, because I'm here and because life with me should feel like a feast and a fast would seriously harsh that vibe. <laughs> and then he says that thing about putting new wine in fresh wineskins because the new stuff would burst the old ones, which seems to be his declaration of independence from the old traditions and arcane religious rules, which leads to the next story in which on a Sabbath day, some VRPs confront Jesus about his followers picking raw wheat to eat while they travel. By Sabbath keeping rules, they really shouldn't have been doing either of those things, traveling or harvesting food, as the seventh day rest required staying home, eating food that was prepared in advance so that a whole 24 hours could be dedicated to resting and refraining from commerce and refusing to pretend that it's by one's own efforts that one's life is sustained. But here were Jesus' followers, not at home, snapping stalks of grain and chewing on the raw seeds. And I'm going to make a couple of assumptions here based in part on Jesus' response to the VRPs who catch them at it 
One assumption is that these friends cannot stay home on the Sabbath because, because they've all left home, yeah. just like Jesus, in order to be with him. You know, like he said that time, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of humanity has nowhere to lay his head. They were essentially homeless. Another assumption is they're hungry. They're hungry enough to need whatever nourishment you can get by pulling raw grain out of its shell and gnawing on it. Kind of the ancient version of dumpster diving. Mm -hmm. All of which is to say following Jesus was not always a walk in the park. Okay, sure, some days you enjoyed the hospitality of strangers and you sat down to a full feast table with all manner of interesting humanity passing plenty of bread and wine. But some days, some days you just walked and you tried to stay out of the view of the authorities and you ate whatever you found along the way. I'm saying that they were poor, y'all. Yeah. Not just that Jesus loved the poor, or was kind to the poor. He was poor. He and his followers got by the best they could. Well, the VRPs saw that, okay, not the homeless, hungry, poverty, but the, the rule breaking. And they said it was really a shame that he couldn't control his people any better than that. And he clapped back with that story about their common ancestor David, the beloved king of ancient Israel. Remember that time he said that he gave to his exhausted and starving militia the bread right out of the Holy of Holies, literally the most sacred bread on the planet, literally. Bread they should not have touched, much less chewed and swallowed. And then he says that thing about Sabbath rest and how it's meant to be a gift for the sake of human well-being, not sacrificing human well-being for the sake of the Sabbath, which leads to the next story in which on another Sabbath day, Jesus goes on offense, understanding now that they are watching him and so when he sees a fellow worshiper in the synagogue whose body does not enjoy the strength and symmetry that some of us take for granted, he initiates a confrontation by healing the man. I know what you're thinking, he says to the VRPs before he does it. I know you're thinking that on this day of holy rest, it's better to do nothing than to do something. But your hearts are hard. And mine is soft. And so I am fulfilling the Sabbath law just like this. That's when they, the very religious persons, in this case the Pharisees and the Herodians, two branches of Jesus' religious family tree, get together to figure out how to... You know Pharisees and Herodians don't even usually like each other, much less work together. 
I mean, it's strange. It's as strange as if the Southern Baptist and the Church of Christ got together, <laughs> cooperating across deep doctrinal divides to increase their collective political influence. Oh, wait. Uh, right. Yeah. Nothing increases intra-religious cooperation like a perceived common enemy. Mm -hmm. Though I think Jesus might also clap back at that assessment himself being posited as the enemy that the VRPs have in common. Seriously, guys, he might have said, aren't we all on the same side here? Mm -hmm. Don't we all want the same things because we adore and obey the same God? Don't we want what God wants? Don't we all pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Isn't that what we're all, all about? Because, and now here is something that gets overlooked in our SBNR attending, institution distrusting, fool me once, shame on me, fool, shame on you, fool me twice, disallowing reading of these stories. Jesus was himself actually a very religious person, a VRP. <laughs> not only spiritual, not only tending to his private connection with the capital D deity through his personal habits, but also deeply committed to religious community and the practices, the traditions that went with it. About his disciples not fasting as part of their training with him, he notably does not say Fasting is stupid. Why would you think God honors collective experiences of self-imposed hunger? Instead, he says that his disciples will fast in days to come when he's not with them and they need a practice to mirror in their bodies the hunger they feel in their spirits without him by their side. About the grain plucking on the Sabbath, he notably does not say, Oh, is it Saturday? I don't see days of the week. <laughs> he instead asserts that his reign of God authority extends to Sabbath keeping. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, he says, and thus he is interpreting appropriately in light of ancient tradition the story about King David and the bread of the presence not against tradition in order to determine what is lawful for his followers to do in their real and present hunger. About healing on the Sabbath, he notably does not say that as self-proclaimed Lord of the Sabbath, he can do whatever the heaven he wants on the seventh day. Instead, he asks his fellow VRPs a question that is right in line with their own ongoing studies of religious law. Whether it is more in keeping with Sabbath regulations to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill on the seventh day, not surprisingly, if you've been reading the Bible along with Galileo Church for a while, Scripture says more than one thing about that one thing. And Jesus knew that very well. The Bible says 
that you should not exert yourself on the Sabbath day as if your survival depends on your efforts. And the Bible also says that in certain circumstances, if your livestock, or heaven forbid, your child, falls into a deep hole or well or pit, you'd be within religious law to lift them out to save their life. Yes, even on Saturday. Because religion is meant to make more life and make life more livable, more lovely, more loving. Yeah. Not less, says Jesus, and says his religion, when you're really good at it, which he was. And which we are trying to be as well, good at religion. Not the way I grew up thinking it looked like to be good at it. Showing up at church every time the doors were open, getting up early in the morning to read my Bible and pray before I went to school, wearing my personal piety like a badge of honor so that everyone would know I was holier than they, even faking a spirituality I often did not feel so that no one would know how bad I was at it, and, very important, learning how to effectively argue that our narrow understanding of doctrine was the singularly correct way to understand everything. Like these were the things God mostly wanted from me, for me to stay busy, for the church to keep me busy as a kind of defense against the magnetism of the irreligious life, the kind of life that could, would, pull me away from God's heart. And I know that for some of you, it was much worse than that. That religious adherence in your past meant pretending before God and humanity that you were not who you are. Maybe praying in those early morning hours before school to be straight, or praying to feel at home in your body, or praying to experience the kind of love that is legal and lifted up, or praying for the strength to remain hidden and alone, or praying for the endurance to get through a life so diminished by doctrine, so constricted by your own religious loyalty, to be good at religion when you're queer as fuck in the religion that many of us remember, it brought so much suffering, like falling to the bottom of a deep hole or well or pit that no one would pull you out of because it's always and forever the wrong day of the week to save a life like yours. Except that Jesus would, any day, any time, Jesus and all his friends would do whatever it took to get you out, take off their clothes and tie all their robes into a long rope to let down for hoisting you up, 
or dig a long ramp in the soil with their bare bloodied hands so that you could crawl up on your own, or just jump on down there with you to tend your wounds, to share their bread and wine until you were strong enough to climb onto their shoulders and scramble to stand on the surface of the earth. Whatever it took, whatever it takes, that's what Jesus and his friends would do. And Jesus tells us it would be perfectly in line with his religion, their religion, our religion, to do that. Even if on the surface, it could be argued that the Bible and centuries of tradition say otherwise. Indeed, to recognize and love the humanity of the person right in front of you, or indeed the person you yourself are, is the fulfillment of religion the way Jesus practiced it. If you are here, or out there in Facebook land, listening to my voice tonight, there is a good chance that you're kind of here against your own better judgment. I know. Like, you've been seriously hurt by something that looked and sounded a lot like what we're doing here tonight. And you are on your guard to keep that from happening again. And that's okay. I want you to know that. It really is. You stay vigilant, you bright, beautiful child of God. You keep watch for the ways that our collective expression of following Jesus, our religion, might devolve into missing the point of following Jesus. But keep watch also for the ways that sometimes, with God's help, we end up doing it pretty well. One sure sign that we're on a good path, when we're doing it like he did, it's going to look to some like we are really bad at religion. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.